Well, hey, everybody, it's Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to this week's sermon podcast. In this week's podcast, we've got something special in store for you. This week, we're taking a trip back into our sermon archives, and I'm going to share with you one of my favorite sermons that I've ever preached. Now, if you've spent much time around the church, you know that the church kind of has our own language. We say things inside of the church that you'll never hear anybody else say, and we even do things that you'll never really see other people do. And in this sermon, I take a closer look at one of those things that we often say in church, and that's when we talk about being saved. Well, in this sermon, we're going to think about what that actually looks like. So let's get right into this week's sermon. I've said this before, but it bears repeating. We say and we do things in church that you're never going to experience any place else in the world today. Like, you're never going to go to the mall and be walking by a Bath and Body Works and hear one of their salespeople ask a customer, have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? Because nobody's buying that fragrance, let me just tell you that. And you're never going to go out to a movie. You're never going to go see the next big hit Disney movie. And when you get to the part where the hero sings that big powerful number, you're not going to see everybody stand up and sing along with that hero, even if you go to one of the ones with the sing-along version at the end. But what I find really weird, what I find really strange about this phenomenon in the church, that we say and do things that are so strange, isn't the stuff that we say and the stuff that we do, What I find really strange is that we never stop and explain why we say what we say or why we do what we do in church. So one of my personal goals in ministry is to help all of us better understand some of the things that we say and do in church that can be a little bit strange. Whether you're a lifelong member of the church or you've been attending for the very first time on a Sunday morning. And that's exactly what we've been trying to do over the last few weeks when it comes to one of the most common expressions that we use around the church a lot. We've been trying to understand what it means when we talk about being saved. Now you can turn to the dictionary and you can find out that being saved means that you're rescued from harm or danger. But that's not exactly what we mean when we talk about being saved in church. Here's what we really mean. We, we've been separated from God. And because we've been separated from God, we've also been separated from the, God, from the life that God created us to live. And there's nothing that we can do on our own to end our separation from God. But fortunately for us, even though we're separated from God, God doesn't give up on us. God is still at work, and God does something to bridge the gap between us and Him. God sends His Son, Jesus Christ, into this world to forgive us of those things that we've done that keep us apart from God, and to give us a chance to live the life that God wants us to live again. Or, as the Apostle Paul, who is the foremost missionary and theologian of the first century, as well as someone who experienced what it means to be saved for himself when God led him from a life of violence and persecuting to a life of preaching and being persecuted. He put it this way in a letter that he wrote to the churches in the ancient city of Ephesus. Paul says, You were saved by grace because of your faith. This salvation is God's gift. It's not something that you possessed. It's not something you did that you can be proud of. But here's the thing. Even though we spent the last few weeks trying to better understand what it means to be saved, we still have an important question that we haven't even attempted to answer yet. And that question is, what does it look like when you're saved? 
I mean, we've talked about the deep theological side of salvation, but we haven't talked about the personal side of it at all yet. So what does it look like when you're saved? What does it look like? How has your life changed when you're no longer separated from God? So that's what I want to do this morning. I want to talk about how your life has changed when you're no longer apart from God. But as I've tried to come up with a succinct answer to this question, you know, the kind of answer that we could pop up on the screen behind me and you could write down in the sermon note section of your bulletin, I've really come to appreciate uh, something that E.B. White once said about humor. E.B. White said, humor can be dissected like a frog, but the thing dies in the process. We can try to dissect the concept of being saved. We can talk about it academically and theologically and philosophically and psychologically, but in the end, we're just going to kill all of its meaning altogether. So rather than digging deep into the theology, the academic side of it, the philosophical, the psychological side of it, and going above everybody's head, including my own this morning, I want to take a different approach. An approach that Jesus often took as he taught. And that's to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story about what it's like to experience being saved for yourself. And the story that I want to tell you is a story that was written by a Danish author named Karen Blixen. It's a story called Babette's Feast. This story takes place in an impoverished fishing village in the coast of Denmark. It's the kind of town that has muddy streets and thatched roof hobbles uh, in a little town called Nora Vosburg. In this grim sitting, setting, we meet a bearded minister who leads a small little church, a small Lutheran church in this tiny little coastal town, and we meet his two teenage daughters, Martine and Philippa. Even though this minister leads a small church in this small little town, its members still have a great faith that they take very seriously. They swore off the few worldly pleasures that they could have in that coastal town. So they wore all black instead of wearing something more extravagant. And their diet consisted of boiled cod and a gruel made from boiling bread. Not the kind of thing anybody's planning on eating after the church service wraps up this morning. Well, on Sundays, this group of people met together, and they sang songs about their heavenly home during their worship services. They all had their eyes fixed upon the pearly gates, and they simply tolerated life on this earth as a way of getting to their eternal home. Well, the story quickly fast-forwards 15 years, and those two teenage daughters are now in their 30s, and they've been trying to carry on their father's ministry after his death more than a decade earlier. But without his stern leadership, the church has badly splintered. One member is bearing a grudge against another member concerning some business matter that he felt he got swindled in. A pair of older ladies in the congregation hadn't spoken to each other in more than a decade. And although they still met on Sundays and they still sang those same old hymns they all loved, only a handful of people were still attending the services, and the music had lost all of its luster. Despite all of these problems, the minister's two daughters remained faithful to the church, they organized the services, and they continued boiling that bread, making that gruel to take to the elders of the village who were unable to cook it for themselves. But one night, on a night that was far too rainy for anyone to venture out on the muddy streets of this little town, the sisters heard a heavy thumping on the front door. 
When they opened it up, a woman collapsed into the door out of sheer exhaustion. They revived her only to realize she didn't speak any Danish. She handed them a letter that she carried with her. It was written by someone who once lived in this village years and years ago. It was a letter of introduction. The sisters opened it and they began reading through it quickly. They found out that the woman's name was Babette, and she had lost her husband and her son during the Civil War in France. Her life was in danger now, so she had to flee France, and the former villager had helped, and he sent her to this village he once lived in, Nora Vosburg, hoping that they would show her mercy there. And to show that she wasn't simply there to receive charity from the sisters, the note ended by saying, Babette can cook. But the sisters, they couldn't afford to hire a cook. And even if they could, they didn't really feel like they could trust her cooking. I mean, she was French after all, and didn't the French cook things like frog legs and snails? Not something you want to eat if you're used to boiled cod and gruel, let's just say. But through her gestures and through her pleading, Babette softened their hearts, and they agreed that she could stay in exchange for doing some chores around the house. Well, for the next 12 years, Babette worked for the sisters, keeping their home. The first time that Martine showed her how to split the cod and cook the gruel, Babette's eyebrows looked upwards and her nose wrinkled up and she couldn't stand the thought of what she was about to cook, but she did it anyway. She never once questioned her assignments. She fed the poor of the town, and soon she took over all of the housekeeping chores for the sisters. Even on Sundays, she helped lead and plan their worship services. Everyone had to agree in that small little town that Babette had brought new life to their stagnant community. But since Babette never referred to her past life in France, it came as a great surprise to Martine and Philippa one day after 12 years when she received her very first letter from home. Babette read it. She looked up at the sisters staring at them, and she announced matter-of-factly that a wonderful thing had just happened to her. Each year she had a friend in Paris who renewed Babette's numbers in the French lottery. And this year her ticket had won. This year she was going to win $10,000. The sisters pressed Babette's hand in congratulations, but inwardly their hearts sank. They knew that Babette would soon be leaving them and their entire community. As it happened, Babette's lucky day Winning the lottery coincided with the very time that the sisters were discussing a celebration of their father's 100th anniversary of his birth. But Babette came to them with a request. She said, in 12 years that I've been here, I've never once asked you for a thing. The sisters nodded. But now I have a request for you. I would like to prepare the meal to help celebrate your father's birth, the 100th anniversary of his birth. And I would like to cook you a real French dinner. Although the sisters had their misgivings about this plan, Babette was certainly right that she had never asked them for any favors in her 12 years. So they felt like they had little choice but to agree to this one request. When the money arrived from France, Babette went out and briefly and she started making arrangements for the dinner. And once she returned to Nora of Osberg, the residents there were treated to one of some of the most amazing sights they had ever seen in this coastal village. 
Workmen pushed wheelbarrows that were loaded with crates of small birds. Cases of champagne and wine soon started arriving in town. The entire head of a cow, fresh vegetables, truffles, pheasants, ham, strange creatures that lived in the sea. A huge tortoise that was still alive was moving its head from side to side. And all of these things, all of these strange sights and sounds and smells ended up in the sister's kitchen that was now firmly ruled over by by Babette. Martine and Philippa were alarmed over what seemed to be a witch's brew, so they got together with the other 11 remaining members of their church, and they explained their predicament. Everyone nodded along in sympathy when the sisters explained what was going on, and after some discussion, they agreed that they would all eat this French meal, but they wouldn't say a thing about it because they didn't want Babette to get the wrong idea. This group believed that tongues were meant for praising and thanksgiving, not for indulging in these exotic tastes. Well, the day finally arrives for the dinner. So December 15th, and snow started falling on this small little town, brightening it with a gloss of white. The sisters were pleased to learn that an unexpected guest was going to be able to join them for the feast. Ninety-year-old Mrs. Lowenhelm would be escorted there by her nephew, who is now a general serving in the royal palace. Babette had somehow managed to scrounge together enough china and crystal to decorate the entire room. There were candles and there were evergreens everywhere. Her table was truly beautiful. When the meal began, the villagers all remembered the vow that they had made, the agreement that they wouldn't say a thing, so they sat around that table like turtles on a pond. Only the general said a thing about the food and the drink, and he raved about it. Cabernet, he exclaimed when he raised the first glass, and the finest Cabernet that I have ever tasted. When when he sipped the first spoonful of the soup that was served, the general could have sworn that he was eating turtle soup. But how could such a thing be found in the coast of Denmark? Incredible, said the general, when he tasted the next course. It's caviar. All the other guests, their faces were puckered up. They had deep wrinkles. They were eating some of the rarest delicacies in all of the world without expressing a thing, without making a comment. But the general, the general rhapsodized about everything. Soon he was singing Babette's praises for the champagne that was being served at the meal, and Babette ordered that her kitchen boy keep the general's glass full for the rest of the meal. He seemed to appreciate everything that was set before him. And although no one else around the table spoke about the food they were eating, Gradually, the banquet started working its magic on everyone around the the table, every one of those cantankerous villagers. Their blood warmed, their tongues loosened, and they started talking about the old days. They talked about when the minister was alive, and they remembered that one Christmas years ago when the bay had completely frozen over. The member who cheated the other member in that business deal, he finally came clean and apologized. And the two women who hadn't talked with each other in over a decade, they found themselves conversing like nothing had ever happened. A woman burped, and one of the men that was sitting next to her at the table said without thinking, Hallelujah! The general, though, he could speak of nothing but the meal on the table. When the kitchen boy brought out the coup de gras, baby quail served with foie gras and truffles, The general exclaimed he had only seen such a dish in one place in all of Europe, the famous Café Anglais in Paris, the restaurant that was once run by a renowned woman chef. Soon the meal was over, and the little company broke up, and they went out into the town center. 
staring up at the starry night sky, enjoying the snowflakes that were still falling on their face. The story then ends with two scenes. Outside, the old-timers join hand in hand around the fountain, and they joyfully sing the old songs of the faith with a luster they had lost years before. As they sang, they felt as if they had indeed had their sins washed white as wool. And in this, they regained their innocent attire. They were frolicking like little lambs. And the final scene takes place back inside, in the wreck of what used to be the sister's kitchen. Piled high, there were unwashed dishes, greasy pots, grisly bones, empty shells, broken crates, vegetable trimmings, and all sorts of empty bottles. Babette was just sitting amidst the mess, looking worse off than she did 12 years earlier, the night she had arrived into town. Suddenly, the sisters realized in accordance with the vow that they and all of their fellow church members had made, no one had said a single thing to Babette about her dinner. So Martine tentatively stepped forward. It was quite a nice meal tonight, Babette. But Babette seemed so far away. After a time, she said to them, I was once cook at the Café Inglaise. We will all remember this evening you go back to Paris, Babette, Martine adds as if not hearing what Babette had just said. But Babette tells them that she's not going back to Paris. All of her friends and relatives there have been killed or imprisoned, and of course it would be expensive for her to afford to go back to France. But what about the $10,000 you just earned, you just won in the lottery, the sisters asked. And that's when Babette drops the bombshell. She has spent her winnings, every last cent of the $10,000 she won on the feast that her church members had just devoured. Don't be shocked, she tells them. That is what a proper dinner for 12 costs at the Café Inglaise. That's what it's like when we're no longer separated from God. Your life goes from being like that drab little village of Norovosburg to being like that table of Babette's feast. Your life goes from being filled with boiled cod and gruel to a life that is filled with exquisite French cuisine. Or as the Apostle Paul put it in a letter that he wrote to the churches in the ancient city of Corinth, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. When you experience the grace of God, God's salvation at work, that's what happens. You become a new person. The old life has gone away. A brand new life has begun. And that new life is so much more abundant than anything you've ever experienced before. But here's the real kicker. There's nothing you can do to earn it or deserve it. Just like Babette gave the gift of this feast to all of her friends, God gives us the, the gift of this abundant life on His own accord. And just like Babette paid a high price to provide this meal for her friends, $10,000 every cent she had to her name, 
God paid a high price, His very Son's own life, so that you can receive the abundance that God wants you to have. But now it's up to you. You've heard the good news. You've heard what it's like when you've experienced the salvation, the the saving grace of God for yourself. It's up to you. Are you ready for your separation from God to come to an end? Are you ready for this new life to begin? Are you ready to receive the feast that God has prepared for you? Let's pray together. God, this morning we thank You for the power of stories. And we thank You for this story of Babette's feast. We thank You for what it tells us about our faith in You. God, all of us journey through a life that is drab and dull. A life that is filled often with more downs than ups. A life where we feel like all we eat is boiled cod and gruel. God, because of You, because of Your grace, we are able to sit down and enjoy a feast unlike any other. An abundant life that You have prepared for all of us. God, You've invited us to a full table. Now it's up to us to sit down and eat. So God, allow us to feast on the life You want us to live by truly accepting You as our Savior. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, everybody, it's Adam again, and thank you for listening to this week's sermon podcast. We hope that it's helped you have a better understanding of what it looks like to be saved. Now, next week, we're going to get back into our sermon series on questions with no easy answers, and we're going to continue wrestling with the problem of pain and suffering in this world and in our lives. And next week, we're going to start getting practical. We're going to start talking about how we can respond to the pain that we have in our lives and how we can help other people as they face suffering in their lives, too. So we look forward to seeing you next Tuesday. And as always, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, make sure you do that before you close out of everything today. And also, while you're in your favorite podcasting app, why don't you go ahead and leave us a review? Your reviews can mean a whole lot to us and help spread the word about this podcast to other people so we can help them grow in their faith as well. We hope that you've got to have a blessed week this week. Have a great week, and we will see you back here next Tuesday.